But Father, we thank you for so many things. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for your character, for your attributes, your greatness, your holiness, your righteousness, your omniscience. You know all things. You're everywhere. You're good. You're just. You're merciful. You're long-suffering. What a great God you are. I, I thank you tonight. I thank you tonight that you are self-existent. The theologians would call that the aseity of God. Everything in the world has a beginning. Not you. You've always been. You're self-existent. You've always been. You were before time. You created time. That's staggering. We, we cannot put our flimsy brains around that. The thought in our mind is, how can that be? And we just cannot, we, we just don't have the horsepower to comprehend it. You've always been. And you always will be. You never lose strength. You never get tired. You never slumber. We do all the time. We've got a certain quotient of energy. We, we've got to sustain it. If we don't, we can lose it pretty quickly. But we can only go a certain stretch, and that's it. We'll, we'll just, we'll, I mean, we'll fall asleep at a table. We'll fall asleep at a desk. We just can't go on. And the scripture says that when we just can't go on, you keep going on. In fact, you not only keep going on, but you keep doing good to us. When we can't go on, you give to your beloved even in their sleep. That's amazing. We like to be strong. But uh, we have weaknesses, great weaknesses, physically, mentally, emotionally. We have all kinds of weaknesses. Huh. But uh, you are the everlasting God. We cast all of our cares upon you because you care for us. We, we cast all of them upon you because you have invited us. And we cast all of them upon you because you can do something about them. So many of these things that weigh us down, we, we, we can do our part, we can do some things, but we can't. So many of these things, it's just outside of our ability. We don't have the strength. We, we just, we can't fix them. So we cast them on you. Is anything too hard for the Lord? No. 
no matter what we're facing, no matter what the daunting challenge that's insurmountable that is before us and keeps us up and we see no way out and we see no solution, it's a slight thing for you. It's no big deal. Thank you for these truths. When we meditate on them, they energize us. They give us hope. They give us courage. And when we wait for the right time for you to act, so often we want you to act right now, but you know what's best. Under all the pressure that some guys are under tonight, help them to know that they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary and not faint. Thank you for your strength, your power, your availability. Thank you that you are the God who answers prayer in the best possible way at the best possible time. We praise your name, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, our key verse in this uh, semester is Proverbs 4.23. We're going to keep hammering on it. The verse is well known. And the verse is significant. A case could be made that it's the most important thing that we do as followers of Christ. Proverbs 4.23 says, Guard your heart, for out of it flows the springs of life. Um, Guard your heart. Some translations say, watch over your heart, for out of it flows the springs of life. We've looked in previous weeks at uh, Matthew 15. Jesus talked about the heart. He talked about uh, the fact that the heart, and when the Scripture speaks of the heart, primarily it's speaking of the mind, but it includes the emotions, it includes the will, it includes the intellect, it includes all the inner stuff. You got a body, and when you die, you've got a soul. Uh, mind, soul, spirit, body, you know. But you've seen bodies lying in state. There's nothing there. It's just a body, it's just a shell. Scripture says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Matthew 15, and we've looked at this before. Matthew 15 is critical to our study. Matthew 15, 19 
Jesus said, for out of the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, fault, witness, slanders. These are the things which defile the man. So this is why we want to guard our hearts. When we come to Christ, we are given a new heart. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. If any man is in Christ, he's a new creature. All things pass away. Behold, all things come new. We've still got a sin nature. We don't want to feed it. We want to um, build up our, our new hearts by putting truth into our hearts. Uh, God looks on the heart. Man looks on the outward appearance. Deuteronomy 6, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. We want to be careful of our hearts because, as Jesus said, uh, what goes into the heart is what defiles the man. We're now Christ followers. So we want to be careful what we put into our minds. Romans 12, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. There's the wisdom of God and there's the wisdom of the world. We have been nurtured on the wisdom of the world. We come to know Christ. Now we want to be nurtured on his words. We want the mind of Christ. And when you have the scriptures, you have the mind of Christ. Tonight, I, I want us to deal with this issue from this standpoint. Tonight, I want for us to look at this concept of um, guarding your heart when life takes a turn for the worse. Guarding your heart when life takes a turn for the worse. Now, we know that there's good and bad. We know that uh, there's the thrill of victory and there's the agony of defeat. We, we know that's part of life. Uh, you've got the mountaintops and you've got the valleys. What we're all interested in is a turn for the best. It's when you get the promotion. It's when you get the salary increase. It's when you get into your first choice of a school. It's when the girl you've got your eye on says yes. Uh, it's when you win. We're all interested when life takes a turn for the best. But sometimes life, even for Christian, takes a turn for the worst, worse than you could ever imagine. People go to Hawaii on vacation because they're looking for a turn for the best. Um, they want to sleep in. They want to go to the beach. They want to go snorkeling. They want to eat at nice restaurants. They just want to hang out. They want to turn for the best. They want some fun. They want to leave the problems behind. Hawaii's a good place to do that. Up until January 18th at 8.10 a.m. Because as so many people were there in pursuit of a turn for the best, cell phones all over Hawaii were hit with text message that said this, ballistic missile threat inbound to Hawaii. Seek immediate shelter. This is not a drill. 
this is not your best life now. <laughs> this is the worst possible. What? What? Some were just waking up. Some were asleep. The little ping woke them up. Some were at breakfast with their kids. Some, their kids were, you know, maybe in a little babysitting thing, and you're with your wife having breakfast. I mean, who knows? And you get this text. Ballistic missile threat inbound for Hawaii. Seek immediate shelter. This is not a drill. Can you imagine that? And it was 38 minutes. They thought this was real. They were told it was real. And we found out later it wasn't real. But sometimes you get the worst possible news, and it's real. It's not a mistake. It's real. And it changes your life and the whole course of your life. Your life will never be the same. And when this happens, you really got to guard your heart. Because if you're not careful, all kinds of wrong things can start fomenting in your mind about God and about who he is and whether or not he can be trusted. How did this happen? Why did it happen? I thought you were good. I'm trying to follow you. I'm trying to serve you. And these things can come out of nowhere, and they devastate us. I want to make uh, three observations tonight as we jump into this. Um, we're going to be looking at Job tonight. But three observations right out of the blocks. Number one, when life turns for the worse, you are forced to confront the brutal facts. I'll say it again. When life turns for the worse, you are forced to confront the brutal facts. Number one, you don't want brutal facts. You're looking for a turn for the best. But when the worst comes, you are forced to confront the brutal facts. Missiles inbound for Hawaii. You can't ignore that. And suddenly, people all over those islands were dealing with questions and facts. Quite frankly, a lot of them were in Hawaii trying to ignore. Namely, the thought of death. Namely, the thought that life doesn't last forever. So, when life turns for the worse, you are forced to confront the brutal facts. Now, now, let's say this. This is not only true of all people, it's true of Christian people. It's true of Christian people. Ecclesiastes 7, somewhere in there, verse escapes me, it's in there. Consider the work of God, who can straighten what he has bent. So every guy in here... You have something in your life that's bent. You don't like it. You wish you could get rid of it. 
It affects you every day. It concerns you. You've got to work around it. You, you can't get your arms around it. Consider the work of God who can straighten what he has been in the day of prosperity. Be glad, of course, and God's been so good to us in so many ways. In the day of prosperity, be glad. In the day of adversity, consider, for God has made the one as well as the other. In the Christian life, you're going to get both. You're going to get great favor, and you're going to get affliction. There's no getting around it. We're told clearly in Scripture. Acts 14, 22, through many afflictions, we must enter the kingdom of God. 1st observation, when life turns for the worse, you are forced to confront the brutal facts. Second observation, when life turns for the worst, for Christ followers, you must embrace the eternal facts. One more time, when life turns for the worse, for Christ followers, you must embrace the eternal facts. So you're in Maui. You look at your phone. Incoming missiles. Seek immediate shelter. Really? An ICBM hits Maui. It's total annihilation. I mean, where are you going to go? The closet at the YMCA? There's nowhere to go. There's nowhere to hide. There's nowhere. You confront the brutal facts. Here's the brutal facts. You're going to die. They're in the air. They're coming. And you're going to die. And there is no escape because you can't escape. There is no shelter. But if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and you get over the initial shock of that, and you're stunned, there's power in the Word of God. Proverbs 18.10, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and are saved. Now, you may still die, but you're in Christ. You're going to die sometime. Are you not? Some of you seem not sure. <laughs> Let's confront the brutal facts. You're going to die. Some of you, obviously you don't have much time. <laughs> Just here to encourage you. We all think we got all kinds of time. Hey. You can die on the way home tonight. Third observation. Oh, by the way, you see when, if you're in Hawaii, the incoming missiles, all this stuff's going on, you confront the brutal facts. But then when everyone else is, see, suddenly, in the midst of absolute anarchy and chaos and confusion, you can have clarity. And as a Husband, as a father, as a grandfather, whoever you are, a Christian man, 
uh, you can have clarity and you can have peace. My peace I give unto you, Jesus said. Jesus said, in the world you'll have trouble, but be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. See, in the midst of the worst possible circumstances, he can, he can give you a calm heart. Why? Because of the power of truth. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and be saved. And you know what? Um, we may not, we not, may not make it out of here. So what are you going to do? Get your wife? Get your kids? He'll give you wisdom for the, for the next thing to do. Get to where you need to go. or he'll show, It shall be given to you in that hour what you should speak. Jesus said, well, what would I do? You don't need to know. He'll let you know. He's your shepherd. He's your Lord. Right? He'll show you. He's not going to leave you hanging. And then when everyone else is absolutely freaked, there's a calm. And you take your family and you do what you can do. And then you pray. So our lives are in your hands. Thank you, Father, for the truth. Third observation. When life turns for the worse, embracing the eternal facts enable you to fight off panic. When life turns for the worse, embracing the eternal facts enables you to fight off panic. That, that's really the scenario I just painted. The missiles are coming. There's nowhere to go. You get your wife, you get your kids or whoever with, with you, and you just uh, say, Lord Jesus, we're in your hands. Thank you that we know you. Thank you that you conquered death. We trust you with our lives. We've been talking about epitaphs, because when a man dies, there's a marker of some type, his uh, name, date of birth, date of death. And oftentimes, there is a short, pithy statement that sort of summarizes his life, and it's an epitaph. Job's epitaph, Job who suffered greatly. We have guys in here in, in the greatest season of suffering they've ever been in their life. Uh, you would get along well with Job. He'd be a guy you'd want to have coffee with. You'd appreciate his insight and wisdom. Uh, I think Job's epitaph is Job 13, 15, where he said, even though, and he said this to the Lord, even though you slay me, yet shall I trust you. There's a difference between believing and trusting. Why do believers go through trials? Well, there are a lot of reasons. How do you become a believer? You become a believer by believing in the Lord Jesus Christ and what he did for you when he went to the cross on your behalf. He took your sin upon him 
And when we believe that he died in our place, took our sins, and the wrath of God went upon him, and that through his broken body and the shedding of his blood, we can have forgiveness of, his sin, uh, uh, forgiveness of sins and eternal life. Uh, what did Paul say to the Philippian jailer who was about to kill himself? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved in your household. No, that's not always true, but it was true in that situation. You believe. That's how you come into the kingdom of God. That's how you're born again. That's how you get a new heart. You believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. If we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. So you enter into the kingdom of God by belief. Watch this. When, that's how you're born. You mature in the kingdom of God by learning to trust the Lord Jesus Christ. And the way that you learn to trust the Lord Jesus Christ is through going through trials that you never saw coming and that you see no possible way out of, and you call upon his name, and you hold on to his promises in the word of God, and you're desperate, and he rescues you and saves you, and you give him the glory and your trust in him accrues, it grows. We're not always in perpetual trial, but we're not always pain-free either. God oversees it all. Too much prosperity is bad for you. Too much suffering is counterproductive, and God knows those limits. He'll get you through. You didn't think he, there's no way I'll get, there's no way. And he gets you through. You can't believe it. And so what's going to happen is, down the road, before long, there's going to be another trial. It'll be different or something. And you're, oh my gosh, what are we going to do? And then, you know, you pray and you're reading your verses, and, all, and he gets you through. Give that about 50 years. And what's happened? Yeah, uh, you're like one of these uh, bodybuilders on steroids. You got a faith muscle that's huge. Why? Because you've had all this prosperity? No, because you've had all this suffering. You've had all this adversity. But you've learned to trust. Andre Crouch wrote a song a long time ago. Through it all. Through it all. I've learned to trust in Jesus. I've learned to trust in God. Through it all, I've learned to depend upon his word. So I thank him for the mountains. And I thank him for the valleys. And I thank him for the storms he's brought me through. If I never had a problem... I'd never know God could solve them. I'd never know what faith in his word could do through it all. Dad gum, that's good. That's just flat out biblical.
you got to confront the brutal facts. They're real. But you've also got to embrace the eternal facts. Now, the eternal facts are found in Scripture. They're truths about God and who God is. They're the promises of God. Let me give you um, three core facts about God that will help you when things take a turn for the worse. The first one would be Psalm 31, 14, where the psalmist says, As for me, O Lord, I trust in you. Did you see that? As for me, O Lord, he doesn't say I believe in you. He says, as for me, O Lord, I trust in you. Because you see, belief is to be put into action. When I believe his word and his promises to me, and everything in my life is falling apart, and I feel like God's abandoned me, yet Jesus says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I feel that he's abandoned me, but he hasn't. I just feel that way. Psalm 31, uh, 14 says, But as for me, O Lord, I trust in you. I say, you are my God. Watch this. Next line. My times are in your hand. There you go. What times, you say? All of your times. All of your times are in his hand. This is a core fact that a lot of Christians don't believe. And I'm going to tell you something. If you don't have this one nailed, you are in deep yogurt. If you think there's some other force, you think there's some other power that controls your life, you're going to be a wreck. You're going to be an emotional wreck. As for me, oh Lord, I trust in you. I say you are my God. My times are in your hands, not in anybody else's hands. Not my enemies, not the government, not some foreign power, not this, not that. My times are in your hands. Second verse goes right along with it. Second core uh, eternal fact would be Psalm 139.16. I quote this all the time. David is speaking of how he came into existence. He says to God, your eyes have seen my unformed substance. What he means by that is that, God, you knew me when I was a sperm and an egg. You knew me a thousand years before I was conceived. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance. You knew me before I showed up on ultrasound. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance. Watch this. And in thy book, they were all written, the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. So you say, my times are in his hand? What times? All your times. From the womb to the tomb. That's what 139.16 says. 
And a lot of Christians don't believe that. Believe it. It's a comfort. You can't die till your work is done. You can't. Some of you, you say, man, I, you know, I was, in a, I was in a car wreck and had some friends. Uh, they died, I walked away. Uh-huh. Psalm 68, somewhere in there. To the Lord belongs escapes from death. Wasn't your time. <laughs> See, we've got to grab onto these eternal facts. You're going to die, but you can't die. Hebrews says it's appointed for a man once to die, and then comes judgment. As, as you're here right now, your time of death for you has already been set by Almighty God, and there's nothing you can do to change it. Now, how else can I encourage you? But that's encouraging. Is it not? That means as I'm here, as you're here tonight, we have X amount of breaths left, and then that's it, because God's ordained it. And you can't die until that moment. You say, oh my gosh, hey, easy, relax. Relax, yeah. There's missiles incoming. Are you in Christ? Yeah. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So what are you worried about? What's the problem? What's the fear? R.C. Sproul uh, went to be with the Lord a couple weeks ago. I appreciated his honesty. Someone interviewed him a while back. And uh, he made the statement, he, he heard some young preacher talk about the fact that he wasn't afraid to die. And Sproul said, yeah. And he said, no, I mean, yeah, I'm not afraid to die. I wonder sometimes how I will die. And I appreciated his honesty. I mean, I like to die in my sleep after eating a quarter bluebell. <laughs> it's probably what'll take me out. But um, that's not how R.C. died. He uh, was on a breathing machine. Let's see, what's in God's hands? He's faithful. He's faithful. Don't get, don't get out too far. Just trust him with today. Jesus said each day has enough trouble of its own. Don't think about that. Don't get out there. That's no reason to. You're wasting your time. You're wasting your energy. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Each day has a certain amount of issues, and he'll be faithful to us today to get us through the issues. That's it. Then we go to sleep, and tomorrow there'll be new mercies to get us through those issues. But this is all in God's hands. Let me give you a third core verse. Psalm 1611. Which says, you will make known to me the path of life. So as you're sitting here tonight, whatever you're dealing with, 
Maybe it's, it's, you've taken a turn for the worse. Oh my gosh, I have no clue how am I going to get through this. What are we going to do? We've got to make a decision. I'm not sure. I need your wisdom, Lord. Okay, when you need his wisdom, you'll have his wisdom. He promises that. He will make known to you the path of life if you ask him. Now, this path of life, one day, on this earth, is going to come to an end. We just talked about that. You're going to die. You will make known to me the path of life. Well, that's right. We're back to that again. Mm -hmm. Look at the next line. In thy presence is fullness of joy. In thy right hand there are pleasures forever. Missiles incoming to Hawaii. Seek shelter immediately. I, I mean, hey, we're human. But you see, at some point, you got to get your wits about you. You wouldn't see a doctor, you know, check up, everything's good, everything's fine. And, and you know, yeah, we got the test results. And, you know, he's looking and he goes, the doctor goes, hmm. That's not a good thing. <laughs> the doctor's looking at something and he goes, hmm. What you want is, you're good to go. But every once in a while, it's, hmm. Well, this is what it looks like. And we're going to have to do some more tests, and you're going to have to wait. Don't you hate that? Don't you hate waiting? Sure you do. <laughs> so how do you wait without turning into a nervous wreck? See, sometimes it's not missiles that will be there in minutes. Sometimes you've got to wait, wait two weeks for a test. Sometimes you've got to wait for 30 days to find out if you're going to be laid off. Sometimes you get what I'm saying. It's hard to wait. So what do you do when you wait in order to keep from going crazy? You embrace the eternal facts. You get your Bible open, and you get those core verses, and you ponder them, and you think on them, and you pray over them, and you worship. And you say, my times are in your hands. I don't have to fear death. I'd like to stick around, Lord. I got these grandkids. He knows that. He knows that. He understands our thought from afar. See, this is where the rubber meets the road, is when life takes a turn for the worse. Let's talk about Job. So let's turn to Job. There's a concept. I was in Psalms. Go left. You'll find Job. 
I want to kind of helicopter Job a little bit. Um, most people know of his story. In, here's how I'm going to do this. I want to give you... Um, so I had three observations. And then I had three eternal facts. And now I've got seven facts about Job. Just trying to consolidate this a little bit. Okay, so I'm going to go through this quickly. First fact about Job is Job's character. Job's character. Right out of the blocks, Job 1. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless, upright, fearing God, and turning away from evil. He was a godly man above reproach. He was a God-fearing man. He was the real deal. Seven sons, three daughters were born to him. His possessions were 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, very many servants. And that man was the greatest of all the men of the East. He was the best man in the world. He loved God. That was his character. Um, he loved his family. Look at verse 4. He used to go and hold a feast in the house of each one on his day, and they would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. When the days of feasting had completed their cycle, Job would send and consecrate them, rising up early in the morning and offering burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, perhaps my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. This Job did continually. We don't sacrifice, we pray. Good fathers who love Christ pray for their children. And... Many of us have children we raise to know the Lord and they're away from the Lord. So keep praying for them. Just keep praying for them. Just keep praying. Beginning with verse 6, we uh, see the fact of Job's accuser. There was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. The Lord said to Satan, where do you come from? He answered, I said, I come from roaming about on the earth and walking around on it. The Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There's no one like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. Satan answered the Lord, does Job fear God for nothing? I mean, why would he not serve you? Why would he not love you? I mean, everything that the guy touches turns to gold. I mean, all you've done is bless this guy. Have you not made a hedge about him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But put forth your hand now and touch all that he has. He will surely curse you to your face. Job doesn't really love you. He just loves you for what he's got. That was the accusation. Then the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power, only do not pour, put, your for, your, put forth your hand on him. Uh, notice this. Satan is not God's arch enemy. Because God, Satan is not equal to God. God's a created, uh, Satan's a created being. He's a created angel. Uh, I, I mean, he wanted to be God. That was his great sin. 
but he's not God. He's a created being. I mean, his arch enemy would be uh, Michael, would be Gabriel. They're created angels. There's a hierarchy of angels, and those are two good guys at the very top. And then you got Satan. Satan had to get permission from God to touch a believer. Satan just can't do whatever he wants. He roams the earth, but he can't do whatever he wants when he wants to. As Martin Luther said, he's on a chain. The devil is God's devil. Third fact. Note Job's tests, multiple tests. Job 1, 13 to 19. Now on the day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job. FedEx truck drove up there and said, the oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them. And the Sabians attacked and took them. They also slew the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. Wow, that's, that's, that's horrible. And while he was still speaking, another FedEx truck came up. This is one bad piece of news right after another. Sometimes affliction, like waves in the Pacific, come in sets. In Psalm 42, the psalmist said, all thy waves and breakers have rolled over me. If you're not familiar with, I grew up on the West Coast, and if you go out and body surf or surf, waves come in sets. And sometimes people are visiting, and they're on the beach, and they're looking, or they drive by, and they park, and these surfers are sitting there on their boards, and they're just looking out on the horizon, and it's just flat. You know, what are they doing? What are they, what are they doing? Well, they're waiting for waves. Oh, really? You think they'll come? Yeah, yeah they'll come. They, they were just here. You just missed them. Oh, you, I mean, you, you, know, you know they're coming? Yeah, they come in sets. Well, how long do you have to wait? Mm. Three, four, five minutes. Depends. And all of a sudden, you'll see those guys start going with one arm. They'll go. And they'll turn that board around because they see those sets coming. And you'll have five, six, seven, eight, nine waves. And then it's calm for a while. That's kind of, that's kind of the Christian life. Uh, 16, while he was still speaking, another also came and said, the fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them. I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, here comes another truck. Another also came and said, the Chaldeans formed three bands and made a raid on the ranch and, uh, of camels and took them and blew, uh, slew the servants with the edge of the sword. I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking. Another came and said, your sons and your daughters were eating and drinking their wine in your oldest brother's house. And behold, a great wind came from across the wilderness, struck the four corners of the house, and it fell on the young people, and they died. I alone have escaped to tell you. His whole life was wiped out. His entire life, except his health, was taken. Everything took a turn for the worst. Devastating. This is just one of these would be a devastating loss that you would think I'll never recover from. Watch his response. That would be the next fact, Job 1, 20 to 22. 
Then Job arose, tore his robe, shaved his head, fell to the ground, and worshipped. That's amazing. He worshipped. He said, naked I came from my mother's womb, naked I shall return. The Lord gives and Satan takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That's not what that verse says. When something good happens to us, most American Christians think, thank Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for what you did. Thank you that I got that promotion. Thank you that this wonderful blessing. When something bad happens, a lot of American Christians think it comes from Satan. But this says, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That goes right along with Ecclesiastes 7. Consider the work of God who can straighten what he has meant. In the day of prosperity, be glad in the day of adversity. Consider God has made the one as well as the other. Through all of this, Job did not sin, nor did he blame God. You know what that tells me about Job? He was guarding his heart. He was guarding his mind. How easy would it have been for him to cast aspersions on God and to blame God? How could you do this? I have served you. I have followed you. I have... Why? Why? Why would you... How could you... He guarded his heart. And because he guarded his heart, he was careful what he said. In that Matthew 15 passage... Jesus said in the verse prior, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. What does this guy speak? Well, he didn't sin, nor did he blame God. The fifth fact is what I call Job's pile on. Two words, P-I-L-E and then on. Job's pile on. If you play football and you have the ball, you catch a pass and you're running, sometimes just one guy, will, some guy will just drop you. He'll tackle you, he'll nail you. But sometimes it's not one guy, it's nine guys. And you're fighting and they can't quite get you down and you got two guys and you got three and you got five guys and you're, somehow you're still up and then all of a sudden they just start and the guys are flying and they're jumping on and then finally they just pummel you and it's great. It's, it's football. It's American football. It's our great legacy. It's just a pile on. It's, a, it's just, my gosh, how much, how, how, how much, when is this going to stop? Well, the suffering's not going to stop. Because now, look at chapter 2. Now, basically, Satan goes back to the Lord and says, touch his health. And in 6, the Lord said to Satan, Behold, he is in your power, only spare his life. Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and smote Job with sore boils from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. Can you imagine such a thing? He took a potsherd to scrape himself while he was sitting among the ashes. Then his wife said to him, Do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. 
she lost what he lost. I mean, she was going through it with him. They were married. Just curse, Job, just go ahead, curse God. Watch his response. You speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Watch this. Shall we indeed accept good from God and not accept diversity? And all this Job did not sin with his lips. And this went on, and this went on. The grief of all the loss. Imagine losing all your kids. I spent some time one time with a guy whose uh, wife and five children, they were all in the car, and the terrible accident, only he escaped. Can you imagine living with such grief? In the midst of all the grief and all the hurt, Job did not fail to embrace the eternal facts. Take a look at Job 19, 25. And he said this as he was grieving and putting up with the uh, self-righteous accusations of his friends. And as he was scraping the boils from head to toe, he couldn't sleep at night. But in Job 19, 25, he says, As for me, I know that my Redeemer lives. And at the last, he will take his stand on the earth. He was holding on to the truth of the coming Christ. And then go to Job 23, because here you will see the evidence of Job's grief and confusion. We're not pretending when things take a turn for the worse. Look at, look at, you got to be honest. You got to be real. There's no reason to fake God out. And when there's loss, when there's tragedy, when there's grief, you're going to ask why. When it happens to me, when there's... Listen, I get angry. So I tell him I'm angry. I'm trying to be angry and not sin, but I'm not sure where that line is. I'm just all screwed up here, Lord, so you're going to have to help me. Just tell him. He knows. He gets you. Just be, just be honest. He gets your heart. He knows you're dying inside. He knows. Psalm 34 says he's near to the brokenhearted, and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. If that's where you are, I mean, he's there. He's with you. He gets you. You don't have to perform. You, you want to do what's right. 
But you're his kid. You're his little kid. And he loves you. He's compassionate, isn't he? He's merciful. He's kind. Okay. Job's human. He, he, he struggled. He just didn't sail through this. You don't sail through stuff when there's great loss and when things turn for the worse. I love Job 23. Verse 3. Oh, that I knew where I might find him that I might come to his seat. I would present my case before him. I would fill my mouth with arguments. I would learn the words with which he would answer and perceive what he would say to me. I, I wish I could just talk to the Lord and just go before him and just lay this out. And, and, and you know what's fascinating about all this? God never told Job why. He never did. In Job 38, God speaks to him out of the whirlwind, but God never tells him why. Job's with the Lord. I think he knows why. Sometimes we won't know on this earth why. Not until we're with him. C.S. Lewis said, uh, C.S. Lewis didn't get married until late in life. Um, wild story. Met this woman. Married her to help her and her son stay in England. She was, a, she was being a gracious man. And, and then, that sounds weird, but it's what he did. And then he actually really fell in love with her and came to love her and love her. And then, I mean, within months, she was dying of cancer. And they had a short time together and she died. He wrote a book called A Grief Observed. If you're in grief, that's a book. But Lewis said one time, he believed, there are so many things that are unanswered in this life. Why, Lord? Why, why? Lewis said, he thought, he says, in my mind, I think when we die and go to heaven, I envision it this way. We're going to arrive in the presence of Christ we're going to look around, we're going to see Jesus, and the first words out of our mouths will be, of course. Of course. Because you see, now we know in part, but then face to face. All the whys will be answered. And God will be proven good. In eight, he says, behold, see, sometimes you're just confused by God. Behold, I go forward, but he is not there. I backward, but I can't perceive him. When he acts on the left, I can't behold him. He turns on the right. I cannot see him. But watch this. Watch this. He's embracing, in the midst of that confusion, he's embracing the eternal fact. Look at 10. But he knows the way I take, and when he has tried me, I shall come forth as gold. Nobody wants to suffer. We all want to avoid the worst. 
But if you've ever asked God to use you, you're going to have to suffer. When I was young, I thought, I'll get that seminary degree because I want God to use me. And then I went and got another one because I wanted God to use me. And in the middle of it, I went through a three-year depression that knocked me flat. I could hardly function. I was crying three, four hours a day, and I couldn't stop. Mary had to go through that with me. We had either two or three kids. I was depressed. It was hard to remember. And I'm kind of kidding, but I'm not, sort of I'm not. We had two, and then she got pregnant, and I'm in this depression. And then she went for a checkup, and the doctor said, uh, oh, and then she came to the hospital to tell me about this, because I was in the hospital with spinal meningitis. They thought it was spinal meningitis, but they weren't sure. So they did a spinal tap at 3 a.m. in the morning. And the doctor said, yeah, this will know. I said, okay. Then a couple hours later, he comes in, and he said the results weren't clear. I said, so what does that mean? He said, well, we'll know in another 24 hours, 36 hours. I said, what if it's the worst? He said, your wife and kids will have to come in and have it done. And while I'm sitting there for three days waiting on those results, Mary had been to Stanford to see the doctor about her pregnancy, and she walked in, and she was white as a sheet, and she said, Steve, that medication I was taking to break down that blood clot when we traveled? I said, yeah. Doctor says it's affected the baby. And he kept pressing me to have an abortion. And I told him that's not an option. I said, good. But he just wouldn't let up. He wouldn't let up. And I, I, I wouldn't move, and I knew she wouldn't. And finally, he got exasperated with me, and he said, well, lady, you're going to have a little monster. What a wonderful bedside manner. <laughs> what a savor of life he was. He's just a Stanford... Med school mass murderer is all he is. Who lives in a very nice home and is a member of a very nice country club. But he's a killer. I, I, I remember being so confused because all I'd ever wanted was God to use me. And I was so messed up, I could hardly put a sermon together. And I'd cry all the way to this little church full of old people. I'd had a real going young church that was growing. Long story, I left. I probably shouldn't. I shouldn't have left. But I was always getting ahead of God. I had to learn some lessons. So I went through some stuff. And I got to tell you something, I felt like a quarterback who would take a snap and I'd go back to throw and my lineman would come after me. 
That's how I felt. I felt like God was against me. So what are you doing to me? Well, see, my problem was I'd ask him to use me. Now, yeah, if you're going to teach the Bible, it might be good to get some education, seminary, get the tools. But see, seminary degrees don't equip you for ministry. Suffering equips you for ministry. I thought I'd never come out of that. A lot of verses I quote, I learned during that three years. When he enrolled me in the school of disappointment. When things take a turn for the worse, he's enrolled you in the school of disappointment. And I've mentioned this before. And some of you say, I've never heard of that. That's because they don't advertise. Well, can I get a catalog? No. You wouldn't want to read it. Well, how do you get in? Well, you'd be crazy to apply. Nobody applies. Nobody in their right mind applies for the school of disappointment. So what happens is one day you look around and your life's falling apart and he's enrolled you in the school of disappointment. And what he's going to do is show you his faithfulness. And you're going to receive his mercy and his compassion. And then that's going to enable you, that mercy you've received, to pass it on to others and comfort them by the mercy you've received from God in your affliction. That's how you're used by God. I'm almost done. I haven't gone as long as the State of the Union. <laughs> uh, a while back, Rick Warren wrote a, wrote a book, The Purpose Driven Life. If you remember that book, it was a 40-day challenge. And he suggested that if you're going to read the book, you read a chapter each day, and then there were questions. Um, Tim Challies does a lot of book reviewing, and Tim Challies actually went through the book and actually reviewed each day and the content and the questions, demonstrated that Rick Warren was really, how many scriptures are used? Were they used in context? It was really a biblical book. Challies did a review of day six in the purpose-driven life. And the subject of that day, the title was this, Life is a Temporary Assignment. Challey says this, day six of the purpose-driven life finishes Rick Warren's thoughts about how I see my life shapes my life. Now, that could sound like something you'd hear at a positive thinking seminar. But see, if you're embracing eternal facts, that's going to make a big difference in your life, 
is it not as opposed to how we used to live? You re recall, he said yesterday, that the Bible offers three metaphors for life, and this is good. Number one, life is a test. Number two, life is a trust. And number three, life is a temporary assignment. The Bible is filled with teachings on the brevity of life, and that is true. It is important that we believers live with a view of eternity, realizing that while on earth we are ambassadors. But I'm only a temporary resident, and as a Christian, my real homeland is heaven. When I have this view, I will understand why sometimes God's promises seem to go unfulfilled and prayers seem to go unanswered. In the light of eternity, no promise goes unanswered and no prayer unheard, and in the end, it will all make sense. Because eternity is in my heart and heaven is my home, I will always feel some measure of discontent with life on earth, and we do. Huh. He said, in light of eternity, no promise goes unanswered, because, see, sometimes it seems like God's not coming through with his promises. No prayer unheard, and in the end, it will all make sense. But so often, life doesn't make sense as a believer. Puritan pastor Thomas Watson wrote this 350 years ago. This book, small print, the whole book is on one verse, Romans 8:28. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good. It doesn't say all things are good. Murder's not good. Fornication's not good. Bankruptcy's not good. Sexual slavery's not good. Being falsely accused isn't good. Rape isn't. There are a lot of things that aren't good. They're evil. And we know that God causes, watch this, all things, all the things in your life to work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. That's an amazing verse. Randy Alcorn, great Christian writer, great Christian thinker. In one of his books, talked about the fact that when he was a kid, his mom would make every once in a while this chocolate cake that was to die for, and she'd make it from scratch. He loved this cake. And she'd get all the ingredients out and get them, you know, she was real organized. And uh, one time she had, was just about ready she had all the ingredients, everything measured, everything there. And she was called out of the room by his sister, I don't know, something. She left the kitchen. And he's a little guy, and he can't wait for that cake. So what he does is, nobody's around, and he just samples. That cake tasted so good, he just decided he was going to sample each of those ingredients. And he was shocked. <laughs> And he was stunned. Even that cocoa powder was bitter. He couldn't believe it. And that white stuff, that wasn't sugar, that was a little bit of salt. And, that, and it absolutely, he was stunned. And those raw eggs were horrific. And it amazed him that somehow his mother could take all of those different ingredients and put them together 
and come up with that kick. That's Romans 8.28. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good. One final point about this little book. The first chapter of this book, based on Romans 28, is titled, The Best Things Work for Good to the Godly. That's the first chapter. It's a great chapter. Does God do great things for us? Yeah. Second chapter is, The Worst Things Work for Good to the Godly. And it's three times longer than the first chapter. My life is in his hands. Life is a temporary assignment. I talked to a man who didn't get a text but he got a knock on the door at six in the morning. And he and his wife both went to the door. Who's knocking at six in the morning? And there were two police officers. Their beautiful daughter in her early 20s had been killed by a drunk driver. I talked with him this week. He said, Steve, every day I think about her. And every day I, I've got tears. Life is a temporary assignment. And here's the fact of the matter. He says, I know where she is. I know her times were in God's hands. It's so hard when they die young. But on the other hand, when you see people in their late 90s, in a rest home, by themselves, in a chair, looking at a TV, we say, Lord, why? He knows what's best. And the last verse I'd mention would be Psalm 138.8. The Lord will accomplish that which concerns me. He has a different plan for each of us. He knows what he's doing. Let's embrace the eternal facts. Because eye has not seen and ear has not heard what God has prepared for those who love him. So, Father, we bring this to you. Everyone looks fine. Everyone looks together. There are people in here who are crushed right now and broken and grieving deeply. If someone had asked me even Monday morning what I was going to teach on, I would have shown them a whole other set of notes on an entirely different subject. And for some reason... You prompted me 
and I could not get away from it to teach on this. So that tells me that's for a reason. <sighs> Encourage our hearts to trust you through the hard times. We're not by ourselves. We're not alone. And we'll be better men coming out than we were going in. By your grace, in Jesus' name we pray, amen.